You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. So I invite you to pull out the Word of God, either in a seat in front of you or your very own copy. And if you need a copy of the Bible, we've got extras in the back, paperback. Take them. Maybe some of you, many of us would need a magnifying glass, but it's the Word of God. And uh, use it or give it to somebody and go through it with them. Or if you need a bigger print, say, Mike, help me out. Help me find. Let's find a Bible. So we want to be in the Word. I'm glad the ladies are going to spend some time in the Word this, this fall studying that. And we're in the Word today amongst our worship of song and prayer and fellowship together. We want to hear from God's Word. So we're going to Mark 14, verse 10 is where we'll go. I'll, I'll read through verse 21 in a little bit, but uh, we have our picture from, from last week from Lincoln. There he is, Lincoln's picture. I put him in the hat. Whoever's not won in a while, try to, you know, it's nothing technical, but try to figure that out. But Lincoln drew this great, great kind of stained glass window look there, I think with the cross there, Lincoln. And... I love the phrase, not a waste of time. And we talked about Mary, right, and giving up her ointment that worth 300 days wages. And I think we talked about BBS last week and said it's not a waste of time and to be spent for Jesus. So that's a good. I, some of you that are creative might want to turn that into a T-shirt. I think that's, that's good. I like that. Somebody had that idea. That's good. Not a waste of time to serve the Lord. So, let's read, uh, let's read from God's Word in verse 10. We'll go through verse 21. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man, if he had not been born. Let's pray again this morning. Ask God's help as we look at his word. Lord, you do say in Psalm 25, the psalmist says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait. 
all the day long. Father, teach us your paths today. Lord, help us to glean even a story of betrayal and Judas and yet this glorious Passover and its reality coming to fruition in Christ. I pray we would leave here in awe of you, in awe of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We would leave here changed, Lord, not changed just so we're a better person. Lord, that we might glorify you with our whole lives, that our light might shine before others. That we would be so in love with Jesus that we would say, I owe it all to you. I owe all to you. And I will give my life, whether it's suffering or pain, for your glory, for your glorious name, for your sake. So help us in this word right now, Lord, to hear. May your spirit guide us. Guide my words and what I'll share, Lord, for your glory. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to look back in the book of Mark here, chapter 9, verse 31, or chapter 10, 33, you remember those, all those uh, predictions of Jesus? I think there was three of them where he was predicting his suffering, death, and resurrection that we looked at as we went through Mark here. There's three of them, and I say three and a half. There was another one near the transfiguration. But Jesus, from what I just read, he's already predicted this. So for us reading, and for any disciple truly listening that would have heard him, they would say, oh, betrayal. We, saw, we knew that was going to come. Jesus already told us about that. Uh, I don't think they were quite in that mindset, but um, he's already said it. So the plan of God is going forth, and Jesus comes. And he comes, as Mark 10.45 tells us, he comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this, this giving his life is coming about by what we're seeing Judas do here. The path to our freedom in Christ, our reconciliation between us and God, our being purchased out of slavery involves at first not the exaltation of Jesus, but really the, the humiliation and eventual death on the cross. And then that exaltation is he's raised to life and he's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Every now and then it's good to point out as we think about even just through our series through Mark, you'll see on, in your bulletin, in your notes, that we've entitled, or I've entitled this series that we've been in for a little while, we'll just say, um, The Way to the Kingdom is Down, Not Up. And it's good to look at that a little bit because I want to be careful, I'm not referring to down as a physical location, as it's really underneath our feet or in a certain place, it's the kingdoms with God. But the way is the way of Jesus. His way is through suffering through death eventually on a cross. That's what I mean by the way to the king. And if we're to be in His image, by His Spirit, transformed into the image of Christ, we too can expect that same path. And are also bearing that likeness of Jesus, our serving others, our suffering for others, that we might point them uh, to Christ. And so Jesus, we see that even in Judas here, this betrayal, eventual suffering, the way is not through just an easy road. It's through suffering in the cross for Christ. May we be, be like Him in that as we serve one another. Um, hopefully, as we look at this passage today, 
we're going to see some contrast here. And that, that word, I think, is what's going on. We saw it last week with um, Mary and this woman anointing uh, Jesus with the, with the expensive ointment and the contrast of the chief priests and scribes. It's going on again here. So that's why I'm reading more. We're not just looking at verses 10 through 11 and, and then next week. We're kind of looking at this contrast because we have this, this betrayal and suffering of Jesus and yet, in the midst of it, there's this story. And if we're in tune to the Old Testament, we're thinking there's this story of deliverance jam-packed right in the middle of the story of betrayal. And I, I want us to see that. So we're going to see this contrast. First, we see it in verses 10 and 11 with this focus on Judas. Uh, I'm not going to read it again, but we said, again, we, we're coming out of that um, Mary and the anointment and the, the, the expensive nard. And I don't know if any of you found some of that in your house or ordered some this week. Maybe you, did, you can let me smell that. But uh, uh, anyway, all this expensive. Here's she gives it all up. And now, now again, it's like we jump and now we're seeing Judas again. And here he is, one of the twelve to betray. Uh, John, in his gospel account, we're not going there, but he recorded, you, last week we looked at just a little bit of John 12 where he records the, sa- the same instance of the the anointing of Mary, Jesus in the house of Lazarus, Simon here, um, that anointing. And we saw Mary, and yet Judas, John names Judas as the guy that said this to Mary. He, he names him as Judas saying, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And verse 6 continues, of, speaking of Judas here, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas here, again, contrasting, did not have a heart of worship like Mary did. A heart of greed, though, really another form of worship, really worshiping the things of this world. So there's a contrast here of Judas. It's also, says here, he was one of the twelve. He's part of this inner group. Now, uh, Luke 22 says something interesting, and so I'm kind of grabbing from some other accounts here. You can turn there, Luke 22, it's not very far, next book over. Look at Luke 22, uh, 3 through 6. As we're thinking, what Judas, what's going on? Why is this happening? Um, and we're going to see Satan is at work in Judas' life. And I think if Satan cannot tempt Jesus in the wilderness... And cannot tempt Jesus towards giving up this mission of redemption to purchase slaves from the darkness of sin. Maybe he's going to win by this betrayal of Judas, the one closest to the Lord. Listen to how uh, it's recorded here in Luke 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. You think back here to Genesis 3.15 where God says Satan's offspring is going to lift up his heel against the offspring of the woman, and yet the woman's offspring is going to strike the head. I mean, we're all the way back in Genesis 3, and here's Satan again trying to strike at that heel of this offspring of the woman. Psalm 41, 9, 
um, which I think is alluded to in, in this betrayal here of Judas uh, towards Jesus, David speaks there and he says uh, this phrase, even my close friend, now this is Psalm, Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And you read through that just without any New Testament, you go, okay, David's talking about his enemy, you know, this friend that's becoming betraying an enemy. And yet we see it fulfilled as written, right, in the New Testament. See this fulfilling coming, coming through. All of this, as we turn back to Mark 14, is quite devastating. It could appear that way because Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, He's the one that's actually called Judas to himself. He's the one that chose these guys. And he chose Judas. And Mark 3.14 um, talks about uh, in that section, Jesus choosing the twelve and choosing Judas, who would betray him, as one of those guys. And yet through it all, God's plan moves forward. It's not a, a disruption, not a surprise to God's plan. Here's one of the inside guys, not an outsider. By way of quick application, I think if one closest to Jesus can betray Him, we should not be surprised when that happens in our lives either. The hurt is often, it's, close, it's more hurtful with those closest to us that would betray or we thought they were close to us and it hurts. But I think we can even think through this, that in the midst of the suffering, even of this betrayal of Judas, what was going on? You think, well, that was a bad choice, or why him, or that went wrong. What did it ultimately lead to? That's what we're going to look at in this next section, but ultimately it led to redemption for sinners. A betrayal led to that. We're going to see Judas, he's responsible for his actions, but God's definite plan allowed for this, allowed to arrest, allowed to the cross. God was at work. Romans 8.28 says this familiar to us, right? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. God is at work, no matter how horrendous the situation looks. I think we can take that away from here. No matter what the betrayal in your life looks like, or friendship, or what's gone wrong. We can trust that God is at work. We can cling to Him in the midst of that. Well, we shift now to verse 12 and this, this Passover event. We find ourselves at Passover. Look at verse 12 back in Mark 14. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to Him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? We're on a timeline here. We're trying to keep things straight. What I can glean, this is Thursday, Nissan 14. Now, when I say Nissan, I don't mean a car. <laughs> That's what I would think of. It's not Nissan, Toyota, Honda. Nissan. It's, the, the, it's actually the, I think it's the Babylonian way of the months of the year. For the Jewish, I think it's also in the Jewish calendar, it's Aviv or Aviv, it might look like. And if you go back in Exodus and look at that, this is the first month of the year, and the day is 14. So Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, 14. From what I'm gleaning in my study, some will say, well, no, it's Friday, this sort of thing. I think 
Thursday, and that's when they would sacrifice the Passover lamb. Now, what gets tricky, and that's why this is tricky, I think we've talked about it before, is the way that the Jewish days work. Their evening actually begins the next day. And so it starts, uh, one place I read, it's when you can see three stars in the sky, that's the new day. That's when it starts, uh, which is variable, right? And so it's hard for us to say, those that we look at it midnight to midnight, to go evening to evening, and so which is the 14th of Nisan, what's 15, and, wh- and maybe we're even mixed up with Nisan. But uh, so regardless, it's, it can get confusing. But I believe here we're on, we're on a Thursday uh, I think afternoon, this after the noon, is when they would start sacrificing those Passover lambs, taking them to the temple. You can look, we still have some timelines on the table. You can grab one of those um, and look at that just to kind of keep a, you know, it's, it's not super important, but it's good to look through where are we at on these days, but I think that's where we're at. And then that evening of the 14th, so we're on the, 13th, the Thursday, 14th, and we head down to the evening. We're transitioning into Nissan. 15 and kind of that evening period where we would at least what i've read is start the passover on the 15th which starts that evening time so it's kind of how you get some days and can easily get mixed up in it but that's kind of where we're at towards looking towards this for us this thursday evening passover meal that they would eat together we'll look at it a little bit more in a bit um in terms of what, what is this Passover anyway. Verse 13, though, tells us something. I just find this interesting. Verse 13, he, he sends two of his disciples, says, go into the city, and you're going to find a man carrying a, a water jar. I don't know if you... From what we read in Scripture, men don't normally carry a water jar. It's kind of like finding a man carrying a purse, if you think of it that way. So they're going to go into town, kind of look for the guy... That's kind of odd. That looks a little different. That's the guy that's going to lead you to the house where there's an upper room and all those other things. And which would make it understandable so they can see this guy and figure out who they're meeting. Uh, and so they're going to find him. That's what Jesus is telling them. Go into town, find this guy. He's going to show you. He's going to lead you to this upper room, this place. It's going to be furnished and ready. And there, prepare the Passover. I think we could say here there has been some planning by Jesus in preparation of this. I, I believe in one of his entrances to Jerusalem or one of his times, there's been some planning. Um, could maybe argue that, but I think there's some planning to Jesus. Obviously, three times he predicted he knew his time. Uh, and so there's some planning in advance. All right, look at verse 16 then. Because Jesus tells his disciples, go do this, find this, find the guy with the water jar, look for him, there he is, follow that guy, find him to the house, you're going to find your way. Um, And then verse 16, here is where they actually go do it, and it says this, and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. We're not surprised, are we? This is Jesus, he's going to do it, you're going to find it, it's just like he said it would be. And there they prepared the Passover. All right. I want us to get a gist of this Passover in this time instead of just reading over it and go, you remember the Passover and the, you know, the lamb and the blood and the door, that sort of thing. Uh, I want us to go back and read through in Exodus 12 and look through this Passover because of its fittingness and the reality that's happening here on this night for Jesus. 
So I want you to head back to Exodus 12. And I am going to read a large portion of this through verse 42. So if it seems long, just just close your eyes and envision what's going on. Envision this, uh, where we're at in this. And I want you to get a sense back in this time of Moses, some probably 1,500 years before Jesus would come on the scene. I want to get a sense of God's deliverance of his people out of the bondage in Egypt. Remember, they had gone there. They had escaped the famine from their land. Joseph, the coat, all those sorts of things. God used all of that for his good to bring these people. But another Pharaoh had arisen. And now the people of God in Egypt are in bondage. They're in slavery. And God sent Moses, along with Aaron, to lead these people out. And through all the various plagues, and you can read about that. It's, it's wonderful reading to hearing all these plagues. But chapter 12 in particular gives us this this broad picture of the Passover helps us understand uh, what's going on. And so I want to read it. And as I read it, just think through. Now, I mean, just kind of two places. One, what did that look like back then for the Israelites? And then what's it look like for Jesus and his disciples? And now they're celebrating this. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. That's Nisan. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. saying, how shall you eat it? Here's how you eat it. Verse 11, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. 
On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Lamb, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people in Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. I'm going to keep going. I want to finish this and listen to now what happened at midnight. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Go, or said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, And go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, 
on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. I know that's a long section, but do you get a sense of why Israel is celebrating the Passover and why this is such a huge event? It marked a magnificent event of God's hand bringing them out. It marked a deliverance. As we head back to the book of Mark, and in 14, now God's deliverance was sitting right with them, reclining beside them at the table of Passover. As John the Baptist calls Jesus, he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus tells his disciples, as we just get to verse 17, of his impending betrayal by one of them. 17 says, When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Again, not somebody, somebody from the outside. This is an insider. Someone from among them. And so the disciples questioned, verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Their question here expects a negative answer like, and maybe some of you say this, surely not I, or is it I? It couldn't be I, right? Not me is their question. But Jesus does not answer them individually. And in one sense, couldn't we say all of them fled? In a one sense, they all betrayed, but the focus here is on Judas. In one sense, though, they did all betray. But Jesus does answer in verse 20, and he says to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Which in the custom of eating was any one of them. That's how they ate. I think that's how they st many still eat in an Eastern culture of the dish before you, and you've got your bread, and the bread, though, um, they didn't have the placemats and the fork and the knife, and how nice. You didn't have to set the table. Just put the dish down, right? You've got a dish of food and the bread. You're good. Grab the bread and dip into the dish, kind of like us with chips and dip, though I'm probably, I don't know if there's like a no second dip rule or what, how that went. I don't know what that was like, but, but take the bread, dip, and all of them are dipping. It's an intimate type of uh, meal with them. And so it could be anybody. Anybody could have dipped out of that dish. But Jesus finishes, at least here, and says this about this betrayal in verse 21. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. could say delivered over. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I mean, we read as, as we looked at this, uh, Psalm 41.9, maybe you heard me say it earlier, where it talks about even my close friend <clears throat> whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Isaiah 53 uh, talks about the suffering and the affliction and the wounded and the being crushed for iniquities of Jesus. That's what he's saying here in verse 21. The Son of Man goes as it is written 
of him. Jesus is connecting, I think, as one commentator looked at it, he's connecting the Son of Man now to the suffering one of Isaiah 53 uh, in the Scriptures. It says, all again, part of God's plan. He has a plan in here. It's not a surprise. And yet, does Judas bear responsibility? Ultimately, we know it's Judas. We're reading this. He's not named right here. But ultimately, it's woe to that man. In essence, cursed be the man who betrays the Son of Man, who betrays Jesus. And so I think there's two things at work here, and we see this throughout Scripture. Judas is without excuse here. Woe to this man for his betrayal. And yet at one and the same time, God's sovereign plan has foreordained this. He's purposed all this for His ultimate glory in saving sinners. None of us can say on that day when we give an account, we can't say, it's your fault, Lord, that I rejected you. God holds each of us responsible for our sin. And yet the offer is, at the same time, it's to all who call on Him, who call on His name, who believe in Him. He gives the right to become children of God, who are born of God, who God has been working in them as part of His plan. So mankind is responsible. Judas is responsible. Though we talked about Satan has entered him, Judas is responsible for what he's doing here. He cannot uh, say in the end, the devil made me do it, right? Uh, Though we see that, we see that Satan entered him. He's responsible. And I think Scripture just helps. It peels back this veil to show us even what's going on behind the scenes. Give us a picture even to the spiritual world that's going on that maybe we often and need to think through, think about. As we close out this, next week we'll uh, be looking at the Lord's Supper. That's why we're going to be doing, uh, celebrating communion together next week. Uh, it's, we typically do it every three months here, but next week we're going to do it because it fits right with where we're at in Mark. And so we're going to look at that in this Last Supper um, and the cup and all that sort of thing next week. Let me just say this as we kind of draw to a close here. Thinking through this section, uh, despite one of his own betraying him, Jesus has set his eyes to the cross, to the deliverance of slaves in bondage, to be delivered up as the true Passover lamb so that those of his own, those that believe in him, they would experience deliverance of their own sins and their own slavery to sin. That's what's going on in the midst of this betrayal. So though Judas want to deliver him up and, and be against him, here in the midst is this Passover celebration where this lamb is going to deliver. And the way in which that happens, Judas held accountable the betrayal and eventually the arrest, trial, crucifixion of our Lord and resurrection. So I'll leave with the same question of each disciple at the table. Is it I? (laughs) Is it you? My question for us, do you see in yourself your own desperate need to be saved from slavery to sin and rejecting God? You personally, not the one sitting next to you, but you Maybe you've not conspired with chief priests. Maybe we have gone against the commands of the Lord. Maybe there's times where we've been ashamed to say, I'm a believer, I'm with Christ, 
If so, if that's our case, has the deliverer delivered you? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5.7. He says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. If Jesus is your deliverer and Savior, we can worship Him, for He has delivered us from sin to eternal life. We have a great high priest who intercedes. Let me just encourage you to let His blood cover your door, to let His life be your life, to worship Him. And I was thinking through, what kind of application? Is this a go-do thing? Do we... Go do, go eat unleavened bread. I don't know. Worship this lamb who went through this, who went through betrayal of one closest to him, who suffered on the cross, died the weight of sinful man on Jesus for our redemption. May we worship him. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for each one of us that worshiping you as Lamb of God, Deliverer, never gets old in our life. I'm asking, Lord, for your help because we battle the sin nature that remains on us. Though we have been washed, we've been declared righteous, trusting in Christ. By your Holy Spirit, you have worked in us. We battle. And I pray you would renew our joy in knowing the Lamb, seated at your table, Lord. Father, I pray for your protection of us, that we're, when we're in situations where we're tempted to kind of be quiet, kind of be ashamed, and not really point out that, yes, Jesus is our Savior. I claim Him as my Lord. Lord, give us a boldness and a love for you. And Lord, where we've failed, where we've been ashamed, I pray rather than running away for you, from you, we would run back to the cross and back to your delivering shed blood that we can confess our sins and you're faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. May we worship you in, that. in Jesus' name. Amen.